bad diet. What? what do you want the EMTs to say when they show up? What sarcastic bull- Instead of saying, everything's going to be alright, sir, I know you can't feel your arm. It's, what would you like- Do you want them to start making fun of your weight or something so that you don't feel afraid? Ideally, you know, just like I, I, I help from any other medical professional as they say, Huh, nice horn, bud. You know, that's- if, if it's anything other than that, who gives a shit? You know, I just want a medical professional to look at my genitals and recognize that, hmm, pretty good. The rest of them, you know, fine, but as far as, as, far as nards go, nice. And I'd be happy. I just want officially medically recognized positive genitals. Okay. Anything else? Nah. Uh, man, you know, this is weird, because I feel like we're really trying hard to not talk about what I think was actually a pretty okay episode. No, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just doing our generic quirky lead-in. I was just waiting for you to go, this is the Big Bang Theory theory. Well, but usually our, 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 our pre-show banter somehow ties into the episode we actually watched. Okay, speaking of doctors, oh, this well, episode begins with someone getting a medical exam for no reason. Yeah, nice alley-oop on that one, pal. Anyway, this is the Big Bang Theory theory. Hi, I'm Nick. Hi, I'm Kyle. And we watch a show that neither of us really like, so we can tell other people why they also shouldn't like it, in case there wasn't enough out there that you weren't aware of that you shouldn't be watching. Uh, but sometimes it's okay. Today was okay. Yeah, today was a good day. Yeah, didn't have to use my AK. Mom cooked breakfast with no hog, all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's. I think this episode had substance to it. Need more jokes. But for the quick summary... Uh, so, Leonard's still dating that lady, Stephanie. She's a good doctor or whatever. Sheldon's asking a whole lot of medical favors of her. Uh, and then Penny comes over one day and she's wearing her underwear. But not like her underwear underwear, like pajamas. But they keep saying underwear because they're yeah, trying to make it sexier weird. than it really is. It's not. It's fine. She's cash. She's cash. And uh, that freaks Stephanie out. She's like, oh, who's that lady? And they're like, she's a lady I never talked about because I tried to fuck her once. I don't want you to know what my actual scale of attractiveness is and that you're really not near the top of it, Stephanie. And then... Uh, Penny points out that Stephanie is living there, and Leonard freaks out about that. She buys him some pants. He freaks out more. Uh, Leonard asks, Penny, what do I do? And she says, tell her how you feel. And every time he tries to do that, Stephanie just fucks him. And that's kind of the rest of the episode, is him trying to be honest about his emotions and constantly getting shut down by sex. So, uh, that's I think that's it. I mean, there's a stinger where Sheldon asks Penny for tea because... Stephanie, the doctor, tricked him into thinking that he had some sort of terrible... I already forgot. Some sort of esophageal thing. No, larynxal disease. There we go. Yes, that it was very inflamed and he could not speak at all. Which would be a great joke, I think, if it happened in the first five seconds. And then was a running thing. They I, took too long. You know, I think it was... Now that I think about it, I think it was mostly a plot device so that they could explain how, like... Basically, because so that Leonard and Stephanie could be interacting with the re in the rest of the episode, and they wouldn't have to write any more Sheldon bits. That you are one hundred percent right. I bet because I imagine as a writer, it's. I mean, they could do whatever because they they're not really consistent to begin with. But if they if they were trying to be consistent with who Sheldon is, you'd have to ask yourself the question: Why would Sheldon not be always talking? Why would he not be constantly obnoxious? That would require a pretty serious and ridiculous intervention. 
Which they do offer. So, you know. Yeah. Now that I think about it, he's just, like, not only is he weirdly missing for the entire second half of the episode, but he's not even, like, at the, t- like, there's, there are scenes set at, like, lunchtime where they're normally all four of them sitting. He's just not there. He's just not there. But maybe that's because he's hassling Stephanie for the medical advice. I mean, I guess that is intuitively where, or, you know, sitting, you know, in, yeah, contemplating his own mortality because he thinks his la- he has a tumor on his larynx, but. Yeah. Well, and to, to get right into the, the medical requests, uh, so the reason that it kind of comes up in the first place in the episode is Sheldon insists he has something wrong with him, uh, gives a few random symptoms, and Stephanie can't find it as an interest in helping because, you know, she's not just a doctor, she's also a person that I guess has sex sometimes, and uh, Sheldon... Um, I'm having the sudden worst brain fart. Oh, uh, requests. There, she, he's talking with Leonard about whether they have any latex gloves so Stephanie can give him a prostate exam. And I think this is another master Sheldon machination. Because this is the first person, not just that Leonard is dating, but the first person in the show that Sheldon seems to genuinely like. And so I think he is trying to extend that positivity to its fullest he's trying to take maximum advantage of her kindness and is like someone's gonna get in that butthole somehow i'm gonna figure it out and i think this was his plan because there's there's nothing else about his symptoms you know yeah i mean i think not to build too much of a psychological profile of sheldon but if we go back uh you know remembering things that i can't believe i even i remember it's like we do know that one of his earliest interactions with a positive female role model was a random german or bavarian woman or whatever giving him an enema for no reason so yeah so it's obviously he associates like strong you know positive feelings towards women with people sticking things in his butt and uh assuming that this is something that he really wants he's also such like an uptight clean germaphobe that he would never do it outside of a laboratory environment and so that's, I think, why he needs Stephanie to really make it as medical as possible. Which also might just be a thing he's into, you know? Yeah, I think it's, this definitely is a person who, like, is excited for all kinds of reasons when he goes into a hospital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jessica is staying over for breakfast. And who then... the fuck is Jessica? Jennifer? Stephanie! Shit. Jeez. That's like the one time I get to correct you on a thing that happened in an episode, and I'm never going to let you forget this. But you were saying. Stephanie, good catch, is staying over for breakfast, and Penny comes in for coffee, uh, which is never explained why she doesn't have her own coffee, but I mean, it's not that big a deal, I guess. Why did, why, why explain it? She, she didn't have coffee! Like, whenever someone in a movie, like, it doesn't happen anymore, but like, were to come over to the neighbors and ask for a cup of sugar and wasn't an assassin, did you have to think about the backstory of how it came to be that they ran out of sugar? Yeah, yeah, I guess it's just one of those things that we live in such a like such an instant generation even compared to 10 years ago that the idea that someone could be like, "Oh man, it's faster." It also says I guess a lot about maybe just extroverts because the idea of like it's like I could walk across the call and then ask my neighbor for a cup of coffee or I could, you know, crawl down the fire escape and run 10 blocks to the nearest Starbucks and which one of those is easier for me really just avoiding the interaction is what it's all about um but anyway so she just walks in she's like hey I'm in coffee and again you're right it was weird because she was just in pink pajamas and Stephanie is like treating like I kind of understand the dynamic she does look good in the scene she actually looks good in every scene in this episode in a way that made me wonder wait Stephanie or Penny Penny okay like um Again, maybe it's just 
I'm just a creep. But I, I honestly, I had the thought that they were like, okay, <laughs> like someone, someone literally might have said, we need to make sure that everyone appreciates that Penny is still a legitimate sexual rival to this new woman. So we're, we're going to have to sex her up a little bit in this episode. So, you know, slightly lower cut shirts, nice bouncy tops, everything. I'm a creep. That's what it comes down to. I don't ever. You're horny for Penny. That's fine. That's what. That's what you're supposed to be. That's her purpose in the show. Well, yeah. That's so right. So that's all I'm saying is. But in the last couple episodes, I just haven't been feeling it. And so either that was maybe that was where I was at when we were watching those episodes. But I also just wonder if it was just like they were like Penny, you don't have a big you you don't have a big part to play in this episode. So don't. But yeah. So so anyway, yeah. It was interesting. Penny walks in. And there's a moment of, like, jealousy and, like, shit coming unraveled. And then nothing happens with it. Like, not a single yeah. thing. Like, despite... It's, they're just, just... At the end, it's just, like, after this huge, awkward... Oh, there's this, uh, there's this you know, weird, incredibly hot person that Leonard has this whole relationship with that he's never told me about. Who lives right across the hall... It was just like, oh, hey, it was nice to meet you. And then we never speak about it again. I wonder if there was like a fairly late writing change where they couldn't commit to it. Because so the, the, the episode, it's, I, I'd say its larger purpose is to put some sort of strain on uh, Leonard and Stephanie's relationship. And it would make total sense for that uh, to happen if Stephanie were jealous of Penny. That makes just a lot of sense in the real world. They're like, hey, you know, a hot person, oh, you used to like be sort of involved or whatever. Oh, that's uncomfortable. And so they start going down that route, and then there's a hard 180 to, hmm, Stephanie bought me uncomfortable pants, and now that is the basis for the for the dispute. Uh, yeah, she she buys him wool pants that he doesn't like, and that and the the pointing out that she does that she's basically moved into his apartment, uh, Leonard starts getting all uptight about. And I don't know. It's I think that the the being jealous of Penny thing would totally make sense. But I also think it's not particularly unrealistic for those little things to start triggering issues. No, I mean she moved his bat signal without telling him. That is it. fucked up. Is what that is. Like there's a huge part of me that's like. Stupid dweeb with a bat signal. But the other 90% of me is saying, you don't touch a bat signal. It's there for a reason. Like, you, no one has bought a bat signal and just, like, haphazardly put it in a place that didn't have pretty serious amounts of thought put into it. And then to replace that with a jewel. Where did the bat signal go? No. She replaced it with a jewelry box. How did, I mean, to be fair, Leonard didn't notice for a long time. Where is the bat signal? <laughs> So there's a consistent problem in this episode where this is really, I think, the meat of the episode is you. Penny gives Leonard advice, which is to share his feelings, which you think is the worst advice. No, it wasn't the the advice to share his feelings was fine. She she gives him two separate pieces of advice. One is it's okay to be open about your feelings and try to, you know, save some input over this relationship and tell, you know... The other person, if you think things are moving too fast or scary, all of that is just blanket emotional honesty. But then Leonard says, after also whole fun interlude, uh, where he goes and tells her that part, they end up having sex. He comes back. I definitely noticed, and Penny also noticed on the show, that he managed to have like an entire sexual experience and shower, I think, because his hair was wet, like in the time it took his laundry to like go through a wash cycle. That's, that's a good 20 minutes, at least. 
Uh-huh. Um, I don't know how long you need. But, uh, but then she gives him the second piece of it. He says, like, one of the weirdest, most realistically honest things that, like, I've ever heard, like, anybody on this show say that mm-hmm. I feel like was basically too real. It was too, it was one of those cases where they got too real and then they didn't address it well enough. Because he was like, look, yes, I could tell her exactly how I feel and that I want, you know, maybe a little more space and that I'd be comfortable if she moved out for a while. But I'm scared that if I try to set too many boundaries, she's just going to dump me. And Penny's just like, yeah, so she dumps you. So fine, move on. And yeah, I think so. That's correct. All of what she's saying is true. But also, I think it's pretty easy to take for granted as someone who dislikes. That's exactly, it's like, there's the advice on its own, and then there's the fact that you don't, like, it's basically like, you know, it's like a millionaire telling someone who's like, yeah, you know, sometimes you, you, you know, you invest $10,000 in the stock market, you lose it all. It's fine. It's, that's just the risks you take playing the, playing the game. Or it's like if you have a friend who's maybe pretty deplorable, you know, they're friends because you grew up together or something like that. And they're in a relationship they're not happy with. Sometimes the right advice is to be like, no, it's not great. But for someone like you? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, you got to think from a think from a position of scarcity. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. who yeah. knows? Your partner's having sex with other people, but you know what else they're having sex with? You. Sometimes. <laughs> if anything, they're out there doing field research, and you should be appreciative that you're, you're gaining any of that knowledge that you would never otherwise have access to. Yeah, it's like if there's one thing we've learned about Leonard on this show, it's that he is apparently, like, his defining characteristic is being pretty terrible with women, although it doesn't actually, frankly, the show is incredibly uneven on that point, which was another thing, uh, just as a side, still bothering me, like, how deeply committed to Leonard, Jessica, uh, I said Jessica Stephanie. again, Stephanie. You've got a Jessica problem. Is, has there been a character on this show named Jessica? Heck I, if I know. I think it's just three... I have a hard time remembering the main characters' names. I think it's just three-syllable names um, for white ladies. but um, Like Penny. Yeah, Penny. Um, but anyway, uh, she is super into him and super committed to maintaining their relationship, despite the fact that we never see like one thing that he does that makes her happy. He fucks her a lot. Okay, but like... Does she, like, what does she like about him? Does she like his jokes? Does she find him... She appears to love fucking. Like, I'm not even giving the joke answer now. Like, like immediately upon meeting him, she's like, we're going to go to the car and make out and do the sex. Uh, And then they immediately enter into a relationship. And now, it's like her response to every potential stressor is just to have more sex. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people who really like that, and that's sort of simultaneously sad and terrifying. I dated a person <laughs> like that, and you are correct. <laughs> it's weird to, to be in a spot where it's like, hmm, well, this isn't going to work, because all of this sex is super cool, but there's something about you that just makes me uncomfortable in my core, and I don't know how to share that or express it. Uh, gosh, you know... We, we're done with this episode, basically. Yeah, I want to, um, I, there was one little thing that I, I, that came up that, which is, I thought, so in the, I have a feeling it's going to come up again, maybe, but Sheldon, um, invokes clauses from the roommate agreement. Apparently right. they have a very long and officially, official roommate agreement contract. Actually, one of the better jokes in the episode is in there, um. Where he says, he says, you signed all these places. And he goes, yeah, but I, with stuff I didn't think that was going to happen. I also signed uh, I also s- signed a page that said, you could be my sidekick if I ever developed superpowers. And Sheldon just looks at him. 
He goes, yeah, you did. Yeah, it's smug, self-satisfied Sheldon is the best Sheldon. Sheldon is a monster, but whatever reason, when when he gets what he wants, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, much like when Hannibal Lecter, you know, finally sinks his teeth into somebody. It's like, good for him. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, he's like, I probably deserve to be eaten. This is his best life. And also that. I don't know. Um, But, uh, no, but, so, the roommate agreement's funny. Um... But also, he's just surprising. It's like, it's like an example of Sheldon being simultaneously hyper, like rule oriented, but also surprisingly chill because he's just like, oh, I see that you're now living with someone, as defined by like the categories that I have laid out here in the contract. That's cool. Here's how we're going to change everything in the room to accommodate a third person, but it'll be okay. Yeah, and you know, it it justifies the behavior up to that point, too. Because he's like, you know, I planned for this exact situation. You thought it was ridiculous at the time, and here we are. No, yeah, I mean, he's actually... I guess I had the weird thought that he was actually, like, cooler with Leonard, like, suddenly having, like, a a live-in girlfriend than, like, I think a lot of real roommates... Hmm. generally are like often that's a point of contention if it's like you know there's yeah. suddenly a new person in the house that you had no control over but he's just like whatever that's so that na- for me i had to point out to a roommate once like he's like she doesn't live here i'm like she started getting her mail here uh which is also not great when that person is maybe your ex or was my ex there that's a better way of putting it like anyway small towns moving on yeah um so yeah, so he was like, well, yeah, so now this communal shelf is now designated the Stephanie shelf and moving right along. Also, I thought it was a pretty good, uh, a surprisingly useful definition of when you're living together because it like, it had like multiple, mm-hmm. it was like, you're either, you know, either t- whatever, like 13 continuous nights in a row or every weekend in a month plus like three weeknights. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that sounds right. No, there's a reasonable... And then Penny, too, comes in with her own rules, which she doesn't even have to, to say out loud. She just comes in and she's like, oh, her dresses are in your closet. Here's her jewelry box. You have new sheets. You're wearing uncomfortable pants. All the classic signs. And I don't know. I don't know how things are going to work out for Leonard now. I now have more reason to watch this show because this is one of the... This is like the closest thing that this show... Has had to an arc yeah. outside of the very general Leonard wants to make out with Penny premise, which has been abandoned since the first season. Maybe maybe this is going to become the greatest show that I, I've ever seen. I doubt it. Oh, that's where I thought it was going to go, though. I was like, if so, and for all I know, this is where they'll go in the next episode, but uh, for how to make the episode more interesting, uh, I thought what was going to happen is that Leonard was going to go to... Uh, stephanie and be like hey uh i need some space i here's my argument for why you should uh move out but we can still be together and she's like oh my goodness this is a lot of emotions that you haven't expressed before where's all this coming from and he was gonna be like oh well this is just stuff penny told me to say Uh... and i was like oh that sweet sweet (sighs) sweet sweet fighting that would have wrapped it back around and been a reasonable payoff it's Yes. Now I like the episode less because you've told me pretty, pretty reasonably how it should have gone. We all right. We have to be done yes. with this. And then now after it's that, going to disappoint me. Yeah. And then after that, Stephanie would have challenged Penny to a duel at sunset, and there would have been training montages for oh, both of them. Yeah, and then they'd actually have they'd get ready some for some sort of fight, and they'd be all decked out in their their battle gear. And Wallowitz would just be on the side like, this is the most sexual thing I've ever seen. You know, aside from that time that 
I got to watch my mom's marital encouragement videos or whatever. I don't know what that means. I just couldn't think of anything else. That's the magic of improv. Uh, but you also you pointed out something about the credits that I have not noticed oh, this or is, paid attention so, to. I don't want to go. It's just something you should. Chuck Lore is famous for all of his shows, of which again, or all, maybe not all of them, but at least famously on Dharma and Greg. Uh, Two and a Half Men and The Big Bang Theory, he writes little notes that literally appear as like the final frame, like after all the credits, there's like a little note card that's just like, here are some thoughts from me, Chuck Lore, this week. Huh. I think this is kind of funny. I thought you knew about them and no. we just weren't discussing them because, you know, it wasn't worth pausing to read them and they're probably not very funny. But I was I didn't realize you had no idea that like in every single episode we've watched there's been like a little thing at the end from no. a little personal message from Chuck Lore. Paid no attention. But not this one? Is that what No, happened? there was. Oh, okay. Well, there I am, not noticing it. But now I know a weird new thing about Chuck Lore, including that it's pronounced Lore and not Lori. It might be Lori. I have no idea how you say it. Chuck British truck. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> um no, I think that's uh I yeah, think that's everything worth talking about in the episode. Oh, not last up final observation about the episode. There's a throwaway joke where Leonard is talking to Wallowitz and Raj, and he says, uh, "I just don't know what to do. Every time I try to talk with her, you know, she cries, and then we have sex." And Raj goes, "Ah, it's usually the other way around for me." Which I like that joke. Why is Raj making the women cry with his penis? What is he doing? To them? <laughs> what is happening in Raj's bedroom that that all of the ladies are sad? They're, well, they're not necessarily sad. They could be very emotional. That's a, a thing that happens. Uh, and maybe Raj has like like a, just a, a monster dong or something, you know? He doesn't know how to use it. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to talk any more sex stuff, all right? From this point on, I class up the show. Uh, so we should do our happy thoughts things. Our... Unless there's anything else you want to talk about first. No. We're on social media. I'm not going to repeat all of it. You know how that works. Uh, I have, uh, I, I think, a pretty good, happy, nerdy video game thing for this week. Okay. Which is, uh, I think this happened like last Friday or something. Uh, this 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 game developer I really like called Supergiant Games. They've made uh, Bastion and Transistor, which I really like a lot. They also yeah. made Pyre, which. Is this like Hades or Tartarus or it's whatever? It's Hades, yeah. yeah. Because uh, I saw the news, that like, oh, hey, uh, they're putting out a new game in early access, and it is available as of this writing. Like, they just, they just like, dumped it on the public, and that game is great. Uh, and I recognize that the problem I'm going to have with it is playing it too much and getting burnt out on it by the time it's actually fully released, because right now it's version 0.1. But, uh, no, it's a lot of fun. Like the characters, so you you are you are Zagreus, and Hades is your dad, and you're like I'm gonna get out of Hades because it sucks here, and your dad Hades is like, no you're not you little shit. This is, this is we live here, we're always gonna live here. Sorry little guy, and so the 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 roguelike game that it is is you trying to get uh, out of Hades, your dad, and then every time you die you come back to your your dad's house basically. Uh, he belittles you and reminds you that you're never going to leave. And then you keep going. Uh, and most of the, the abilities that you get are given to you by uh, the, the, the other gods of Olympus, who are all like, 
Your dad's kind of a dick, am I right? You should come hang out with us. How about, wouldn't it be cool if your sword shot lightning bolts? And uh, it's fun. Also, you can earn earn the god's favor. Uh, there are rooms where you can get two power-ups by betraying one god and then appeasing the other again. And it's all it's all combat-based. You know, it's there. You're not doing fun, random tasks. You're not performing sexual favors for the gods in exchange for power? Uh, no, but Aphrodite, over and over again, alludes to how much she wants to bone, apparently like anybody. Uh, which, not out of character for an Aphrodite, I guess. Or is it? Is she super selective because she's the god? Well, I think she could afford to be, if nothing else. Well, no, but so she could afford to be, but, like, you know, someone who is, uh, like, I don't know, sex addict or maniac, like, they could afford to have, if they're attracted, have sex with whoever they want, but they will have sex with whoever they can. Yeah. Mostly I remember she, you know, had sex with Ares a bunch, which is weird because he's, like, her brother there's a uh, lot of incest yeah I mean, going, so much incest in greek mythology going greek has a whole lot of connotations so that's how it is but anyway that's i'm not that's enough i always feel like i give weird qualified recommendations or something aside from this. no but you really like this it's one. great it's great no complaints what about what about you buddy uh i've been playing super smash brothers ultimate a lot you got that yeah why didn't you tell me as soon as you got it why don't you live here well because i uh, I, that was basically my plan for today before it turned out you had a bunch of other stuff going on. Is that uh, we were gonna go over and sp- I just assumed that we I kind of figured you Some all- of that stuff is going to go watch Spider-Man with you. You know what? Fuck Spider-Man. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's great. But um, uh, so I always say I'm not going to recommend, like I want to recommend things that aren't movies, but it's just like a really good time for movies right now. So it's, it's uh, they keep jumping to the top of my list. Uh, I saw two that it's, um, they're interesting because they're sort of thematically and culturally connected, despite being very different. Uh, one of which, you know, is a uh, is an indie art house film that will probably be nominated for uh, best foreign language film, Shoplifters, which is just this great look at this at this group of uh, at this sort of Japanese sort of blue collar family. Um, you know, I've seen a lot because I watch a shitload of anime and other stuff. I've seen a lot of Japanese. Uh, media and entertainment but i've never actually seen anything that actually attempts to like show you oh what is it like to be poor in japan you know i'd sort of forgotten that there were poor people in places other than america but um so this is what their lives are like and you know um it's a really and it starts off just sort of as like a classist deconstruction of like yes they're poor and they steal food from you know like grocery stores but they're still really decent people and then it really fucks with you um, I mean, it's a great movie and very t- emotionally like endearing and just one of the most fan. Now I have to watch everything this director ever made. So that was great. Um, and then also like the very next day or the day after I went and saw the new film by, uh, Mamoru Hosoda, who is the guy who made, uh, uh, the girl who leapt through time, summer wars, wolf children, you know, several incredibly critically acclaimed, um, Japanese animated films, um, and I love all of his stuff, so I was super excited to go see it, and it was fantastic. Just, like, some of the best stuff I've ever seen, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it's hard to explain, like, how good he is. Like, a lot of people want to compare him to Hayao Miyazaki, because that's, like, the other guy who makes really great animated movies out of Japan, but, you know, they're really very different filmmakers, um, 
but his stuff is this one is about a little kid who's dealing it's mostly about like the emotional honesty of like suddenly having like a, a sibling who's who's new that he's like three or four and he has you know his parents bring home like the new daughter he's like eh, kind of boring and takes all the attention i don't like this shitty little girl baby who's living in the house fucker um dag and but then you know because through unexplained magical realism he finds himself traveling back and forth through time and he meets her you know in the future when she's a teenager and she's cool and he meets you know his grandparents in the past and they teach him life lessons that he needs to contextualize what family means and it's just all great so mirai fantastic shoplisters fantastic and like i said what was interesting is i was looking up both of these films see how they were basically the two directors are like contemporaneous and they're the same age and they go to a lot of the same festivals and they hang out a lot and they're like yeah you know, we know each other. We're cool. We hang out. So that was sort of an interesting connection. It's pretty cool. And so, uh, names of the films one more time. So Shoplifters, which is the live-action art house one that's, you know, uh, very emotionally impactful, uh, you know, and an interesting look at Japanese society and class. And then Mirai, which is just like this cutting-edge animated emotional journey that showcases like all of the best animated techniques that are cutting edge animated techniques that you can imagine and you know wrapped up in this core story that is just breathtaking are you going to be excited uh like this when we go to see fiddler on the roof together i probably you so uh so yes podcast audience because nick has never seen fiddler on the roof we're going to go see on christmas eve we're going to the fiddler on the roof sing-along to be surrounded by people who, as much as I love Fiddler on the Roof, I'm betting that a lot of people, like, if anybody can give me a run for my money, it's going to be anyone else who wants to spend Christmas Eve going to the annual Fiddler on the Roof sing-along. Well, so, have you been to one of these before? I have not. Because I can't tell if it's going to be a party or if it's going to be a bizarre, somber event. I don't think it'll be somber. I assume it'll be a, it'll be fun. But I've, like, as to what age these people are going to be or what kind of people they are... I am imagining a lot, like, I remember in college there was a girl who, like, both loved, like, all she could talk about is how much she loved Fiddler on the Roof, and also literally looked like a character out of Fiddler on the Roof, so I'm imagining a lot of people like that, but, um... Yeah, I'm wondering what it'll be like, uh, for me, I I don't expect this will be an issue, but, uh, especially not since I moved to LA, but back when I was in Montana, people very often would just assume I was Jewish, and either uh, do kind of racist or welcoming things, depending on that. <laughs> and I wonder if I'll get any of that at this show, or because we actually live in a big multicultural place where stereotypical uh, background features are less likely to lead to such judgments that I will be uh, adequately ignored. Yeah, uh, my guess would be the latter, but it would be interesting. I started to say, other than the curly hair... And the fact that, you know, I don't know what about you, like, gives off that But You would also be, like, basically you're a, I don't, and I never know if this word, like, so I'm about to use a phrase that I pray to God isn't offensive, but right. it comes up a lot in movies. It's a bear Jew, which I was always like, what the fuck is a bear Jew? But apparently it just means a really big, you know, oh. hairy, masculine Jewish guy. That, that comes in outside of Inglorious Bastards? Yes, and also in Cinderella Man. When oh. Russell Crowe, the guy he has to fight, it's like, you gotta watch out. The guy you're fighting, you know, whatever his name is, real historical fighter, it's like, he's a, he's a bear Jew and he's a killer. He'll just take you apart in there. I like it. I like it. 
Uh, uh, I feel like there's no other reason that I... Well, I, was, I take back what I was about to say, which is there's no other reason anyone referred to me as a bear, but that's not true at all. That's far from no, it. That definition of a bear, you are you are definitely... Hundo um, percento. Uh, but yes, I'm very excited to go see some fiddler on the roof with you. Me Just too. totally unironically. Yeah. Fuck, fuck Christmas. <laughs>